0: You're listening to audio from Praxis Church, Kelowna. Praxis is a new church plant that exists to follow Jesus and make him known. If you're interested in finding out more or joining us in person, go to praxischurch.ca. Our reading today comes from Matthew chapter 7 verses 13 and 14. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, God. Praise be to God. Go ahead, take your seats. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, my name is Josh. I'm the pastor here at Praxis. Um, Good to have you up, Corey. Corey and I um, serve together at a church, the ch- one of the churches we planted out of in Vancouver, Westside Church. Um, done a number of things with Corey. He's a tall man. I um, look up to you a lot. Um, we have, um, yeah, great to have him up. Cole is away in Louisville, finishing his degree this weekend, or walking across the stage. Um, so Corey graciously came up from the coast. We're very blessed to be planted out of two amazing churches from the Lower Mainland, Westside Church in downtown Vancouver, where I was pastoring, and Northview Church in Abbotsford, who's partnered with us, uh, where Colin formerly worked. Um, two very great people. We planted up here um, with the vision of seeing every single person in the Okanagan within reach of a vibrant, biblically faithful, gospel-proclaiming church that's an outrageously large vision, but we serve an outrageously large God. And in 10 months, we've already seen him do some amazing things. We're not doing any. We have no tricks up our sleeve other than we try to just open the Bible and work through it line by line. And so if you haven't already, go ahead and open your Bible up. Um, with that, we have, a couple weeks ago, began our third service. Um, we have filled this place up to capacity a couple times over, and so we have a new gathering at 4 p.m. So this summer... As we head into summer, can I encourage you, I know the kind of the the Okanagan thing is pull back, um, work on your tan a bit more, attendance drops off. Um, This is not the time for that. We've had a couple years where the church has pulled back. Um, We need to be leaning in throughout the summer months. The 4 p.m. service is there so that you can still work on your tan and show up or get in the boat or whatever you're doing or go to your kids' sports tournament. But please don't neglect the gathering together of the saints. This is vital. It's important says that we are collectively the image of Christ it takes all of us together to be the image of Christ you will not grow as a disciple on your own and the rest of the body will not grow as it. it should without you present if you're part of this body we need one another and so just over the summer months please do not pull back lean in even more we're going to um, be in community groups in some modified capacities. We're going to have lots going on. All um, that to say, super long intro. If you have already opened your Bibles, I'm going to pray, and uh, we will dive in. Uh, Jesus, we thank you for the, um, the re- chance to reflect on what we were just singing. In the midst of our darkness, you came and broke in. We weren't searching for you. You came and found us. You're a great, almighty God. All glory, honor, praise, and worship to do back to your great name as we gather here. this morning, we pray your spirit would come be present, that you would come and ignite the words that you spoke through a holy man as they were carried along by your spirit, that you've preserved for thousands of years, and that the word says, you now come and make come alive in our hearts. Come and train us, equip us, sharpen us, rebuke us, correct us, whatever we need. Would we live our lives in submission to your text? And as we dig through two verses this morning, would... The, the richness of them come alive. That's your work. And so I commit the, the, the remainder of this time to you. And I pray this to the Father in the name of the Son. Amen. All right, we're working through Sermon on the Mount, if you've been with us, Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. This longest discourse of Jesus we have recorded in the New Testament, it's kind of a manifesto of sorts from Jesus on what it looks like to live as his disciple. It's a description of a new way of living. If you will, it's kind of a new way to be human. It's Jesus describing a whole new way of life. And we're going to be looking, as I said already in the prayer, just two verses, but they're meaty. Oh, this text is meaty. Um, and in it, what we're going to see is a contrasting word picture, two ways put before us. And um, this is, this literary device occurs all throughout the Scripture. So if you're familiar with the Psalms, very first Psalm begins with the Psalmist saying, um, blessed is um, the one who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, or sits in the seat of scoffers, or stands in the way of sinners, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night, and he's like a tree planted by streams of living water that bears its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Then it contrasts and says, but the wicked are not so. They're like the chaff that the wind blows away. We see these dichotomies, these these two-path or two-way descriptions all throughout the text. Proverbs has a very famous example. It says in Proverbs 12, there is life in the path of righteousness, but another path leads to death. Jeremiah, another famous example, he records this, thus says the Lord, behold, I set before you the way of life and the way of death. And so Jesus joins with this Um, These examples that the prophets have used, that the scripture uses over and over and over, and he says this. We're going to just read it again. Verse 13. Jesus says, enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. Those who enter by it are many. The gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. The way here, um, Jesus contrasts two different ways. This is a word; the Greek version of it occurs in the Old Testament 750 times. Most of the time, um, it's referring not to a path, which this word can mean, like "that's the way up the mountain." It, it's referring to a way of life, a, kind of a, a way, a way of living, a course of conduct the way in which we live our lives. And Jesus here is going to show us two different ways. That's what we're looking at this morning. Two different paths of life. And in doing so, in this text, he's going to use kind of three components. He's going to contrast three components of each path. The first, he's going to talk about the gate. He's going to talk about the path itself, and he's going to talk about the destination for each of them. He's presenting two gates, two paths, two destinations... And um, really, these verses, they're short, but they've been the source of inspiration for a lot of things, a lot of artwork. We're gonna put up a lot of um, several different pieces of art throughout the sermon that have kind of drawn inspiration from these two verses. But this week, I, I opened up a book called Pilgrim's Progress. Has anyone ever read that? Some of you. Okay, yeah, so I've read through that. I think this was my fourth time through. That whole story is really just... Um, a, uh, an unpacking of these two verses. It's a uh, uh, like a an, why am I thinking can't think of the word An allegory? That's the word I'm looking for. It's an allegory of these two paths, the Christian life. Um, if if you aren't familiar with this book, it written um, by a man named John Bunyan. It was the best-selling book for hundreds of years, up until quite recently. It was the best-selling book apart from the Bible of all time. And this book, Pilgrim's Progress, would have put, been put in the hands of every, every person who came to Christ or maybe at the baptism because it's, it's allegorical of what the Christian life looks like. It's a really good book. I'll, I'll kind of give you Cole's Notes version here. Um, basically, there's a man named Christian. So some of the, um, the allegories are right on the nose. A man named Christian, and he's a Christian. Um, He lives in in a town called the City of Destruction, and the city is headed for destruction. And a man named Evangelist shows up and tells him the city's about to be destroyed. Um, Christian then um, feels the weight of his sin and his life. It's described as a baggage on his back. And Christian tells him that he can go through the narrow, wicked gate to the celestial city, and as he goes through the gate, this burden will be taken off his back. And so the whole story is about Christian beginning this journey to the Celestial City. It's worth reading. I think every Christian should read this book. It's worth reading. You can find it for free on your Kindle. I found a paperback version for eight bucks. Go and buy this book. Um, Your kids, there's a free version online of like a cartoon right now, too. Um, Really good. But all that aside, what stuck out to me as I read it again this week was how much of a journey was involved even for Christian just to get to the gate, There's a long journey that takes place. Uh, A lot goes on, a lot of struggle just to get to the gate, never mind get through it. And what I want to talk about is this gate, this first component that Jesus is setting up in the two kind of analogies, the two different ways. Um, I want to take a look at the gate. Look with me again, verse 13. Jesus says, enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and easy that leads to destruction. Those who enter by it are many, but the gate is narrow. The way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. So Jesus here is presenting two gates, one narrow, one very wide. This Sermon on the Mount, as we've talked about throughout the series, if you've been with us the last five months, it's a description of how to walk in the way of Jesus. It's a description of the new life Jesus came to give us. It's a description of how to live life as God intended it, but it has a starting point. A narrow gate, Jesus says. You might wonder, why why does he use this adjective? Why is it narrow? Of all the things he could have called the gate, why is it the narrow gate? Well, part of unpacking this and understanding this involves getting ourselves in a first century mindset. Again, we're reading other people's mail here. We're getting to to read something that Jesus spoke to a crowd of people. Um, This crowd was very familiar with gates. The city of Jerusalem had a wall around it with many, many, many different little gates and ways that you could get into the city. There was an east gate that was on the east. There was a horse gate for horses. There was an inspection gate. There was a sheep gate, the gate you would come through with your sacrifices. There was a dung gate. You know what that gate was for. Some of the gates were wide. Some of the gates were very narrow. Some of the gates were for citizens. Some of them were for people who were visiting and coming in. There was gates. The original audience understood this. People would come from around Jerusalem to enter the city for, for different festivals throughout the year, the narrow gates required that you get off of your horse, you leave your cart, you leave your entourage, you leave all of your baggage, and just you walk through them. Anything into t- that you rolled into, into town with would have had to have been left on the outside. Your, your sheep, whatever it is, and what Jesus is getting at with this word picture is he describes the entrance into the Christian life, this way of life that he calls his disciples to, is that in order to enter onto the path that he calls us on, we need to leave a few things. We need to put a few things aside in order to fit through the gate there's a number of things we have to do and um, this morning that number is three just because I like the number three and it's, it works. The first is we have to renounce all that we own. And just so you know, I'm not pulling that out of my rear pocket. I'm going to give you a number of different verses. The first is Luke 14. Any one of you, this is Jesus, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has can't be my disciple. That's Jesus. Why? Why? Because if we're going to be a disciple of Jesus, our job is to become like Jesus. That's what an apprentice or a disciple does, is he he follows his master or his rabbi and seeks to become like him. And Jesus, Philippians 2, tells us this. It says, um, Jesus, though he was in the form of God, didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but instead emptied himself, took the form of the servant, and was born in the likeness of man. Jesus renounced the eternal comforts of heaven for us. And he calls us to renounce the comforts of earth for him. In order to get through the narrow gate onto the path of discipleship, we have to leave behind the caravan of stuff that we came in with. And so we need to, first off, renounce everything that we own. The second thing that we see Jesus say in the scriptures to his disciples is that we need to forsake our old way of life. John 12 speaks to this. Jesus says, Whoever loves his life will lose it, but whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Revelation, um, in in the final book of the Bible, it it sets a picture up of the disciples of Jesus who've died or went to glory um, standing in the presence of God, and it describes them this way. It says, They've conquered him, meaning Satan, by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony because they didn't love their lives so as to shy away from death. We're called to forsake our old way of life. To fit through the gate, to enter the way of Jesus, is to leave one way of life and enter into a new way, a way with different values, different objectives, different currency, different purposes. Jesus is not an add-on to our old way of life. He's not a life hack to to give us more of our old way of life, that superpowers our ability to live life as we used to, the way of Jesus is radically at odds with the way we used to live. Matthew says this, whoever finds his life here will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my way will find it. Matthew says this again, records Jesus saying, whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And again, Jesus says this Everyone that's forsaken houses or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my namesake shall receive a hundredfold and shall inherit everlasting life. Fit through the gate, we need to renounce everything we own, forsake our old way of life, and thirdly, repent of our self-righteousness, and I want to explain this. Christian had to believe there was a destruction to flee from and that there was a weight on his back that he needed to be freed of in order to even set out on the journey to the narrow gate. We won't enter through the narrow gate and onto the path of life if we don't believe there's something we need saving from. If you think you are fine, you will not approach the gate. If you think, if if you are carrying anything, this is important to know. if we are carrying anything, we will not fit through the gate. The thing that's making many people too fat to fit through this gate is that they believe they're fine, they're good. They think their way of living is good. Actually, in Pilgrim's Progress, Um, There's two characters that try to keep Christian from going through the gate. One of them's name was morality, and the other fellow's name was civility. The two things that prevent us from going to Jesus empty-handed and asking for righteousness, not our own. When civility comes in, we think, oh, I'm, I'm a pretty good guy. I'm better than that neighbor over there. When morality comes in, we think, man, I'm pretty moral. I've been doing a lot of good things. I think God's pretty impressed with me. Any righteousness that we come to this gate with makes us too fat to fit through. Any righteous deed, anything that we think polishes us up, makes us presentable to God or makes us his favorite child or the one that needs saving a little less than that one over there, anything like that makes us too fat to fit through. Anything we do that we believe makes us more acceptable to God actually hinders us from coming to him at all. To fit through the gate, we need to release everything in our hand. We need to turn from every pursuit that we previously lived for. We need to replace the values once adhered to. We need to march to the beat of a different drum. For every single person who decides to follow Jesus, entering through the narrow gate requires that we leave behind. And I don't know if that is for you but it's something. If you are coming to Christ, if you've come to Christ, this means there is something, something that needs to be left behind. I don't know what it is. Again, some pursuit you're living for, some religious action that you're doing that you assume makes you right in the sight of God, a, your pile of cash, your possessions. I don't know, I don't know what it is. Relationship you're having that you refuse to let go of and you're trying to squeeze that other person through that gate despite the fact that you know it's impossible to maintain in the way of Christ. I don't know what it is, but there is something. And so Praxis, I want to ask you, I want to remind you first, the gate is narrow, and then I want to ask us all, what is following Jesus and entering through this narrow gate require that we leave behind? To fit through the gate, everything from our old life has to be put off. But as we go through the gate, there's something that we need to put on. This this image depicts it very well. It's a cross. We go through the gate with a cross, and we continue on the path with a cross. And this leads us into the second kind of object, um, contrasting um, component that Jesus presents in these two paths, and that is the path itself. The way. So read with me again, verse 13. He says, "Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide, and the way this is what we're going to look at. Pay attention to this. The way is easy that leads to destruction. Those who enter by it are many. The gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life. Those who find it are few." I already mentioned. In the original language, the way here can refer to a path, but it usually refers to kind of a a way of life, a a method of living. And um, what's also interesting to note, though, is that early Christians, um, some might know this, some might not, um, they didn't actually refer to themselves as Christians. They were referred to as followers of the way. So... um, Many times throughout the New Testament, you see, like Paul, for example, um, he's standing in front of Felix, the uh, governor, and he's saying, I admit that I worship the God of our ancestors and am a follower of the way, which they call a sect, is what he said. So to be a Christian, they called themselves followers of the way. The the way um, probably comes from John 14:6. Jesus said, I am the way the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Um, Peter, he refers to Christianity as the way of truth. The author of Hebrews says that Jesus has made a new and living way for us. And again, that word way is not just a path. it's It's a whole way of living our lives. So the way, rightly understood here, it's the path of Jesus, The way is the example and the instruction that Jesus gave to us as disciples to walk in. To be a follower of the way is to be an apprentice of Rabbi Jesus and to live one's life in devotion to the instruction that he's given us. It's to walk in his way. And notice what it says in verse 14 here. The way is what? Hard. The way is hard. Some paths are wide and easy. This one isn't. This requires careful, careful attention in order to stay on it. Um, This reminds me, as I was thinking about the narrow, hard way, it reminded me of a road I drove on in India once. Um, This is the road. I was leading a team into northern India, doing a hike through the Himalayas, visiting some orphanages, and... Um, This is the road we had to drive across. This is a narrow, hard road. This is, in fact, the world's most dangerous road. And as you look down these cliffs, you'll see it's certain death if you fall off of them. And, And from time to time, you'll see, like, little buses or cars that have, indeed, fallen off of this road. It's very treacherous. It's not like driving from Calgary to Saskatoon. It requires Alertness, caution, because the way is narrow and hard. There's things that as well, in, in our journey, try to get us off of the path. In Pilgrim's Progress, there's, there's a town named Vanity and they, that has a fair within, and many end up leaving the path in order to enter into Vanity's Fair, which is uh, a term, of course, you've probably heard about. It's not just the gate that is hard to fit through. The path is hard to stay on. It's hard to stay on. And listen to what verse 14 says. Um, Actually, just first I'll set it up with verse 13. It says, the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter onto this path are many for, which can mean because. So because the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. That's what it's saying. There's people who began on the hard path and turned off instead to go on the wide, easy path because it's too hard. Some people saw the cost of going on this path and they turned back. Jesus actually calls us to do that. He says, before you build a house, count up the cost and make sure you have enough money to complete it. Take a look at the path. It's hard. There's many things that, threaten to pull us off, and we need to be aware of them. We live in a a culture that's full of things screaming at us to come off the path. Few really notable ones, sexual pleasure, massive one. It's this kind of allure of immediate sexual gratification, wealth, financial security, all that it promises to deliver. It's led lots of people off the path. Experiences, a big one for me in my in in early on in my discipleship. These things, oh, if I follow Jesus, I might miss out on this. Big one today, a little controversial. I think homeownerships led a lot of people off the path of Christ. Just that promise of a bigger house, or even just a house, or a townhouse, or a trailer. You know, this is the most expensive place in the world. This promise of security and peace that we believe will happen once we have our dream home and our interior looks like the latest issue of dwell. Relationships. So many people come off of the path because they want that relationship now and they don't want to wait for it. They want that um, temporal, earthly relationship now and they don't want to wait for whatever God might have for them or that promise of the eternal relationship that we get to have in God through Christ. The gate is hard to fit through, but the path is hard. Now, you might might be thinking as you hear this, didn't Jesus say, My yoke is easy and my burden is light, though? Familiar with that? Jesus says, My yoke is easy, my burden is kind. We can can misunderstand this. Um, The promise of Jesus isn't of a burden free life or Of life free of pain or suffering or difficulty, the easy yoke and light burden that Jesus refers to. um, The yoke was placed across the shoulder of cattle. This was the weight they had to pull, the burden they had to carry. It referred to um, the yoke of religious deeds, all of these religious actions that people had to perform to make themselves right before God. We don't bear that yoke, Jesus has bore that for us. We don't walk with baggage and a heavy load on, but we walk a hard path. Jesus removes the burden, he carries it for us, but there's still a road and it's not easy. Jesus's yoke is easy, but the road is hard. The alternative is a heavy load on a really, really easy road. The hard way is not a popular way and most are tending towards what Jesus describes as the wide, easy gate. In fact, many churches, um, this is the message they preach, A wide gate Christianity. They, you know, call people to come as they are, which is good, but they, they leave them right where they are, which is not good. They challenge them to nothing. They don't confront sin. They don't refer to it. In fact, they're rounding the edges off of the gospel. They're changing the scriptures to say what it says so that it'll be more acceptable to people. Many people are modifying this gospel into a gospel that costs, costs nothing. But we need to hear this. A disciple without a cross is a disciple without Christ. A gospel that costs nothing is worth nothing. Nothing. A disciple without a cross is a disciple without Christ, and don't take my word for it. Here's what Jesus says. Whoever doesn't carry their cross and follow me can't be my disciple. A crossless discipleship is a Christless life. Matthew 16, Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Matthew 10, he went on to say, whoever doesn't take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. We can't get through the gate without a cross on. We need to put things off. And you can't walk the narrow path without, on, without a cross on either. The, the way is hard because it forces us to take sides. Either we live for this life or we live for the life to come. Either we indulge in the desires of this life, or we deny them. Either we are Lord, or Jesus is Lord. Either we honor Jesus with our sexuality, or we make ourselves Lord. Either we honor Jesus with our finances, or we make ourselves Lord. Either the kingdom is ultimate, or this kingdom is. Either we put on a cross, or we put one off. You can't be a disciple of Jesus without one, though. So Praxis, I want to ask you, what cross are you avoiding putting on? Maybe ask it a different way. What cross are you trying to take off? If you're a disciple of Jesus, what cross are you trying to take off? Perhaps, could I suggest, our crosses aren't keeping us from life. Perhaps our crosses aren't keeping us from the path of life. Perhaps they're keeping us on the path of love. Take a look at the final component with me um, that Jesus shows us in his juxtaposition of the two ways. First, we looked at the gate, then the path. Now take a look with me, um, the destination. Verse 13 here, um, he says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. But the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. The wide, uh, the wide gate and the easy path, they deliver immediately. So we know they do. They'll, instant gratification is their promise. But they deliver into your hands something that decays, a life that is fading. Riches that are corroding. Wealth that moths come and eat and destroy. It ought to be temporal. Many, many of us were living our entire lives just collecting ride tickets for a carnival that's leaving town. There is an easy ride path, but it leads to destruction, and Jesus contrasts this with the destination of the hard path. The hard path that leads to to life, it says. And, and and that word is interesting if you get into the original language in the Greek, um, to get nerdy with you for a second, it's this Greek word, zoe. Zoe, that's the word that we're translating to English as life. It's the same word that um, we read in John 10.10, 10. Jesus says this, he says, the thief comes only to steal and destroy, but I come that you might have life, zoe, and it abundantly. This word, life, just so It's a little different than how we use life. Zoe um, refers to the absolute fullness of life. It's life as um, God himself has it. It's life as God has it. Eternal, genuine, active, vigorous. It's a life that's blessed. The thief comes to steal life. Jesus comes to give life. Life that keeps on delivering. Life that continually pours out, that's ever new, that's ever green, that never runs out. But in order to grab hold of that, we need to release the things that's already in our hands. Kelowna, there is two paths. A way to death and a way to life. The way of Kelowna and the way of Jesus. The way of Kelowna It says, get as much of this life as you can. And the way of Jesus says, get as much of the next life as you can. The way of Colonna says, fight for now, defend now. This is all there is, so tooth, nail, claw, whatever it takes, lay hold of it and don't let go. The way of Jesus says, turn the other cheek, give to everyone who asks, everyone who begs, as an expression of your hope in him. There's two paths. The way of Kelowna and the way of Christ. The way of Kelowna says give in to your anger. Give full vent to your rage. Let out your frustration. Fight for your rights. The way of Jesus says trust him. Honor him. Even when your situation is frustrating. The way of Kelowna says store up as much as you can. Get all you can now because this is all there is and this the way of Jesus says store up treasure in heaven. The way of Kelowna says, out of the lordship of money. The way of Jesus says, renounce the lordship of money. The way of Kelowna says gratify your sexual desires. It says actually to not gratify your sexual desires is inauthentic to you. Because your sexual desires are paramount. So if you're not giving it to them, it's actually a way of restricting yourself sort of into a form of slavery. But the way of Jesus says honor your, honor your Lord with your body and your mind. Actually have a whole different way of looking at what it means to be human. The way of Kelowna says marry people who please you and divorce people who don't. Because per- personal happiness is the purpose of life. The way of Jesus says, commit your whole life to one person and love them the way Christ loves you, which is faithfully and forever, because honoring God is the purpose of life. The way of Kelowna says, my kingdom come, my will be done. The way of Jesus says, your kingdom come, your will be done. And this is a wrestle that every single one of us is facing. It's a a wrestle I'm facing there's two paths set before us. One promises something immediately and the other promises something eternal. There's two gates, one that costs and one that doesn't. There's two paths, one that is easy and one is hard, but there's two destinations as well. One of them you don't want. My favorite scriptures in the Bible is from um, the book of Malachi. Malachi. If you flip to your left just a little, you'll come there. It's the last page in the Old Testament. Malachi says this. Once more, this is God speaking, you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and the one who doesn't serve him, between, in our instance, the one who's on the path of life and one who's on the path of destruction. Once more, you'll see this distinction. For behold, the day is coming that burns like an oven, and all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, and it will leave them neither root nor branch. Nothing stored up here will last. But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in his wings, and this line, you will go out like calves released from the stall. I grew up going to rodeos. <laughs> and if you've ever been to a rodeo and seen calf roping, you remember the calf in that, that cage? And the second they opened the gates, it's off. This is the picture that's being put for us here. We will go out like calves released from the stall. It might feel like captivity now. It might feel like cagedness. But we're going to be released to life eternal. One path leads to death. One leads to life. And as we close, we need to remember the only thing that qualifies us before God, the only way we're fitting through the gate is if we leave every other thing behind us and we come through that gate with nothing in our hands but a pleading for Christ's righteousness and not our own. We need to examine our lives. We need to pay attention to what it is that's trying to get us off of this path. There are things. The way is hard. The edges are steep. And we need to remember that the paths we walk lead us somewhere. A few questions as we close. Just first, what is keeping you from passing through this gate? And maybe you're here and you're a skeptic and you're cautious. You're kind of kicking the tires of this thing called Christianity. You're wondering what this Jesus guy is. If you want to pass through this gate, there's an invitation to you. is to leave every form of righteousness that you contribute to and accept the one that Christ has purchased for you. couple closing questions. If you are have walked through this gate... You would call yourself a disciple of Jesus. What threatens to draw you off? What is trying to allure you off the path of Christ? There is something. There is. Lastly, what cross are you avoiding putting on? Maybe bet, put better. What cross are you trying to put off? We're going we're to close. The band's going to lead us in worship. But um, if you are a Christian, I want to invite you forward to take communion. We do this in remembrance of the fact that Jesus made a new way for us. He did this by dying in our place, taking the consequences for our sins, and gifting us a new life. He put this life in front of us. So remember, the way onto this path is through Christ. We also have the great promise of the scripture that his spirit walks with us on this path. To take this because it's the body and blood of Christ that were um, shed in our place that gifted us this Holy Spirit that now walks with us. And it's the same one who who holds our salvation secure. And so I'm going to close in prayer. And I want to invite you to just ponder these questions. And when you're ready, if you're a Christian, come forward, take communion. If you're not a Christian today, I would plead with you. Put off whatever you came in with, any form of righteousness that you think makes you more acceptable to God. And instead, just pick up the righteousness that Christ can give to you today. Let me close us in prayer. Jesus, we, we confess you are the true and living way. You are the way, the truth, and the life. You are the one way to be reconciled to the Father. There's no other way, no righteousness we bring, no good deeds, righteous actions, civil living, nothing can qualify us or or, or bring us before the Father. It's your death alone. So Jesus, I pray that our vision would be filled with that afresh and that, Holy Spirit, you would come and make us savvy to the lies and schemes of the enemy who seeks to pull us off of the path that you've called us on. We reflected on this promise that your Holy Spirit is in us to lead us and guide us. And so then the, the words of Romans 8.14 are true. That you said all who are sons of God are led by the Spirit of God. Would you come, lead and guide us in the way everlasting. And we anchor ourselves on this promise that one day you will return. and We will be like calves released from the stall. We pray your name.